And they went into Copernicum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once... His fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding regions of Galilee. Lord God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that your word accomplishes what you determine it to accomplish. It does not return to you void. And Lord, we pray with that expectation that we could hear your word tonight, spoken to each one of us, to meet us where we are, that we might be drawn closer to you, to know you more deeply. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good evening. My name is Chris Myers. I'm the associate rector here at St. Bartholomew's. Uh, we are in a season of transition, and I'll have some uh, more to say about that during the announcements. I'm thankful to my friend Dustin Messer from All Saints Dallas helping me out tonight uh, with priestly duties and such, and for Sean Carter being back leading us in musical worship. So good to see you, and uh, yeah, it was, it was great, great to have um, him leading us in song. Um, tonight, I want to continue talking about the season of Epiphany. Uh, we're in the season of Epiphany, and last week we talked about the connection between repentance and mission, that it is repentance that makes mission possible. Um, we saw that in the reading from Jeremiah and even in Jesus' own words as he appears on the scene in the Gospel of Mark and says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, connecting these thoughts that as the kingdom breaks in, repentance goes hand in hand with that, that God's mission into the world requires us to respond to him, to surrender to him. So the question before us tonight is this question, what happens when the kingdom of God breaks in? What can we expect when the kingdom of God breaks in? If Jesus brings the kingdom, if he is, as I said last week, the kingdom himself, the place where the will of God and the will of man are perfectly cohered, the place where what is done in heaven is done on earth with perfect obedience and perfect alignment. If Jesus is the kingdom in a certain way and he comes into the world, what happens and what can we expect? And we might say it this way, that when the kingdom breaks in, there is an epiphany of authority and power. But that unveiling of Christ in the world also leads to shaking of certain things and to exposure of other things. So that epiphany of authority and power, the kingdom breaking in, can make things convulse. You think of that man being healed from the demon coming out of him convulsing. When Jesus shows up, things around him sort of convulse. <laughs> and people are asking questions and what is going on with this guy? He's not like our other teachers. So what happens when the kingdom of God breaks in? Or to put it another way, what happens when God shows up? Well, things are disrupted. Things are shaken. Um, theophany, fancy word for God showing up. We had an allusion to the great theophany in Deuteronomy 18 when God showed up to the mountain 
Sinai, Horeb, whatever you want to call it, you can choose. God showed up, the mountain shakes, lightning flashes, the people are freaking out, and they say, Moses, you go talk to him. We don't want anything to do with this. God shows up and things shake. Or think of Isaiah in the temple. God shows up, the temple shakes, it's filled with smoke, and what does he say? I am undone, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. God shows up, his kingdom comes, and things convulse, they shake. Uh, Things are exposed. So that's the question before us tonight. What happens when the kingdom of God breaks in? I thought, I was thinking about the movie, uh, I was thinking of Robin Hood, and I was thinking of the Sheriff of Nottingham. And of course I was thinking of Alan Rickman as the Sheriff of Nottingham and Prince of Thieves. And that's a time when there's a king who's absent. And the Sheriff of Nottingham and his cousin, Guy Gizmore, they're just running amok. But then the king shows back up, and everybody's scrambling, people are scurrying to their corners, people are trying to line themselves with the king. When the king shows up, stuff starts to happen. And that's what's happening with Jesus tonight. The king is coming back. The king is coming into the world. But things start to be shaken, things start to convulse, and maybe not in the way that you would expect. Think back to a few weeks ago, the classic story of Epiphany is the wise men. They come, they follow the light of the star, they follow the light of God's word to go see the light of Christ incarnate. But then there's this other character, Herod. And he and the whole court of Jerusalem are scared because there's another king in town. And what does Herod do in response to this challenge to his authority but slaughter innocent children? So the breaking in of God's kingdom is not nice always. It can cause chaos and disruption. It can make things convulse. And what we see tonight in the Gospel of Mark is Jesus bringing the kingdom by bringing his authority and his power. So I want to look at three aspects of Jesus' authority tonight. The ways in which he expresses his authority and brings the kingdom of God. And the first way in this passage that we see Jesus expressing his authority is through his teaching. He stands up in the synagogue in Capernaum on a Sabbath and he teaches and the people are amazed. Why? Because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. Now this is a pretty bad dig on scribes and I take it personally as someone with a scribey personality. After the exile, there weren't really prophets anymore. And this office emerges of the scribe. Um, The scribe par excellence is Ezra. And he's a really good guy, but he calls people back to the word of God. But he isn't speaking the word of God as a prophet did. He's calling them back to what was already there. So there's this distinction between the prophetic office and the office of the scribe. And there's a difference of authority. So even a good scribe on a good day is still just a scribe, not a prophet, not someone who speaks the very words of God. And that's part of what's in the background here. Remember what we heard in Deuteronomy. Moses speaking to the people of Israel, they're about to go into the promised land. Moses isn't going with them. And he says, don't worry, God will raise up for you a prophet like me. And you will know he's a prophet because he will speak the words of God. 
and that's the standard by which you will judge him. Jesus speaks like that. He speaks with the authority of a prophet and more so. So, if you're a scribe, you might be threatened when Jesus shows up and has this teaching with authority. And in fact, if you move on into Mark chapter three, that's precisely what happens. A bunch of scribes show up, it says in Mark three twenty-two, the scribes who came down from Jerusalem saying, he is possessed by Beelzebub. They try to undermine Jesus and his teaching and his authority because when Christ shows up with his power, his authority, the powers that be are threatened. The powers that be shake. And what makes Jesus' teaching so authoritative, so new, is this idea that he speaks the very word of God, or as one commentator put put it, that his word has the power to accomplish what it communicates. His word has the power to accomplish what it communicates. He's not just saying words. They have an effect. So think in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, you've heard it said such and such, but I say such and such. He has the audacity to speak as if he's the person who wrote these things and understands their inner and deepest meaning. That's the authority of Jesus' teaching. He has power to accomplish what his word communicates. The prophet Isaiah says that the word of God goes forth and it does not return to him void. Jesus, the word of God, comes into the world to accomplish the purpose of God. And I think you have an intuitive sense of this if you've had a really good teacher. And a really good teacher, there is an alignment between what they say and what they do, how they teach and how they live. And those things are perfectly aligned in Jesus. He's perfectly integrated. He has perfect alignment between what he says and what he does, who he is and what he teaches. So Jesus is not here merely to transfer information. He is here to show them how life works. He is here to make such a life possible. Last week we heard him say, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I will make you into something as you follow me. I'm not just gonna tell you things. I'm gonna change you into something. So Jesus, as the teacher with authority, comes to show us a way of life and to to make that life possible. And as he's making that life possible, he goes to war with, does battle with, everything that would keep us from that life. He goes to war with everything that is opposed to the kingdom. So there's the kingdom of God and there's the dominion of darkness and we're gonna see that conflict play out in this passage. So first, we see that Jesus expresses his authority and brings the kingdom through his teaching. Second, we see that Jesus expresses his authority and brings the kingdom through his power. His very presence draws out a confrontation with an unclean spirit. We don't know what Jesus said in the synagogue that day, but somebody in the back row didn't like it because they had an unclean spirit. And this unclean spirit calls Jesus out. What are you doing here? What do you have to do with us? Are you here to destroy us? The scribes are threatened by the teaching of Jesus. The unclean spirit is threatened by the power of of Jesus. When the kingdom of God breaks in, things get stirred up. Things start to convulse. 
This spirit knows that Jesus, as gospel of Mark says later, has come to bind the strong man. This unclean spirit knows that Jesus has already gone toe to toe with the chief unclean spirit in the wilderness. Have you come to destroy us? He's speaking, the unclean spirit speaks to Jesus as one who has power. And we're set up for like a great, you know, Harry Potter like wand battle, but it's not that at all. It's just shut up and it's over. In fact, more literally, what Jesus says is be muzzled. Put a muzzle on it. Shut up and get out of him. That's power. There's no real conflict at all. Jesus is able to simply speak a word. And the demons and the unclean spirits are put on notice. This is a vivid example that Jesus' words accomplish what he intends them to. He doesn't just speak words. He affects reality. It's kind of like God in Genesis 1. Let there be light. Oh, yeah, and there was light. No lag time. No loading period. Let, no, let me get some light for you, God. No, it happened immediately. And this is Jesus too. He rebukes the wind. He rebukes the demon. He says, be muzzled. And the unclean spirit is muzzled. We see this again from the prophet like Moses, the one that God raises up. He's the one who speaks the word of God and you will know him because he speaks God's word and that word is affected in reality. And Jesus is that one. He brings the kingdom and things start shaking. This man literally convulses as the unclean spirit comes out of him. So we see Jesus expresses authority in his teaching. We see Jesus expresses authority in his power. And third, we see that Jesus expresses his authority with his very person, his very presence. I hope you don't miss what I, would, what I think of as a deeply ironic epiphany of the demon's confession. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I know, unclean spirit, that you are set aside by God for a purpose and that you've been empowered to accomplish that person purpose. This phrase, Holy One of God, it's used of Samson, it's used of Elijah, it's used of other figures in the Old Testament. It's used of people on whom the spirit rushes and who are empowered to accomplish some task or mission that God gives them to do. But Jesus is something more than that because we've already learned in Mark's gospel that he's the one on whom the spirit rests and remains. We know that Jesus is the one who has come to baptize others with that same spirit. We know that Jesus is the one who gives the spirit without measure. This was a temporary phenomenon for Samson. He's, a, he's kind of a male bimbo. He's a mimbo, and he's still filled with the Spirit of God, but it goes away. Elijah, even, he's a great prophet. He gets to see Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, but the Spirit just rushes on him temporarily, but not so with Jesus. It remains on him. He's empowered by the Spirit he tells us, I will clothe you with the Spirit. You will receive power from on high when the Spirit comes upon you, those who follow me. Jesus has come into the world to affect something with his very person. 
So we see that his authority is expressed through his person. And I want you to keep that in mind as we go back to the very first verse of this story. They went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Where is Jesus? He's in sacred space. And when is Jesus? It's during sacred time. And he shows up to speak and teach on the Sabbath, not as someone who knows some things about the Sabbath, but as the one who is the Lord of the Sabbath. He doesn't just talk about Sabbath, he brings Sabbath. And we see that in his healings. In this story, and more vividly in a couple chapters, when he heals the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath and shows the people that that's what Sabbath rest is for, for restoration of humanity, for the wholeness and healing of the people of God. So Jesus steps into sacred space on sacred time, and he says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I heal persons, places, and even time too. I've come to bring rest and restoration. And we see that Jesus is the one who's filled with the spirit, the same spirit who hovered over the face of the deep and brought order out of chaos. That is the spirit of Sabbath, the spirit of restoration. We see that his very person affects the reality of the rule and reign of God, which is to bring shalom, which is to bring rest, which is to bring restoration so that he might be the Lord of the Sabbath, so he might say to us, Sabbath wasn't made for you, you were made for the Sabbath. Well, other way around. It's a gift to you. You're not supposed to serve it, it's supposed to serve you, and I'm here to make sure that that's how things go, because my word affects what it, it accomplishes what I say it will accomplish. I can speak to reality and I can make it happen. But there's a dark irony, I think, to all of this because Jesus comes and there's this promise of rest and restoration and yet there's the scribes who are threatened and the demon who's threatened. In a certain sense, we can be threatened too by the appearance of God's power in the person of Christ. This is the old, old story of being human. It's not the oldest story. The oldest story is... I make everything, I make it good, I give it as a good gift to my image bearer, male and female, human beings, fill the earth and subdue it. That's the oldest story. But almost as old is, did God really say, it's, does he really have the authority that you think he does? Does he really have the power that you think he does? does is his kingdom really that great? Is the rest that he promises you really rest? Don't you wanna eat that fruit? And from that time forward, we are tempted and often fall prey to this desire to live out of our own authority, to live out of our own power. And that means that when another power comes, we can be threatened, just like the scribes were threatened, just like this unclean spirit was threatened. Jesus' very person creates a kind of crisis for us too, a choice to make. That choice every day, are we gonna take up our cross and follow him today or do it some other way? Just sit here today or follow myself today or whatever that might look like. The rule and reign of God can be a threat because it challenges every other rival rule and reign in myself 
in any political structure, multinational corporation, at whatever level you want to look at it, God's power challenges our power. So part of the question for us is, do we believe that Jesus is not just the one who has the authority and the power, but that he's good? (laughs) And that what he wants to do with that authority and power is to give it to us, to fill us with the same spirit that he is filled with, to, in a certain sense, divest himself of his riches because he's so rich that he can afford to be poor over and over and over again because he gives the spirit without measure. See, for us, because of experience, and I'm not saying we're wrong about this, we think authority is one thing and goodness is another, and never the two shall meet. (laughs) Power is bad, goodness is over here. How do we get these two together? But in Jesus, they're perfectly aligned. His authority is aligned with his goodness. His authority and power are aligned with his determination to do battle with things that harm us, unclean spirits, our own um, desire to follow our own selves. Jesus does battle with those things. So the question before us tonight is, will we experience the authority of Jesus as a threat or as a path to our own healing and rest? Let me put it this way. It is ultimately not sacred space, the synagogue, or sacred time that matters, but the sacred one the Holy One of God. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. He has authority. He is holy. He is set aside. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. We might say that he is sacred time in and of himself. What did Jesus say last week? The time is fulfilled. Time is filled up in me. It's reached its greatest purpose and end in me. He is sacred space in himself. What does he say tear down the temple of my body and I will raise it up in three days. This means that wherever Jesus is, he consecrates. He makes that place holy. He makes that person holy. He who is the set aside one sets us aside so that Paul can say audacious things to like even Corinthians that they're saints. (laughs) And if he can say it to them, he can say it to us. Saint meaning holy one, sanctified one, consecrated one, set aside one, person filled with the Holy Spirit. So the Lord of the Sabbath comes to bring the kingdom, and part of that kingdom is shalom and rest. And the question for us is, how will we respond when God shows up? Will we be threatened? Or will we say yes? And maybe we're in a liminal space where we really want to say yes. And if that's you, Stick around. I would just encourage you to stick around um, to experience Christian community, to experience uh, the power of God in our midst because it's okay to maybe be in that liminal space. Maybe you've been hurt by power. Maybe you've been hurt by authority and you don't see how authority and goodness could go together. Hopefully, in part of exercising Christian community, you can see how those things do go together and that in the person of Christ, they're perfectly aligned. And maybe if you're there and you can't maybe bring yourself to say the Lord's Prayer every day, then just say this praise, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because that is a prayer for Jesus to come. Because Jesus is the place, the person in which those things are perfectly aligned. And that's just maybe a little step 
for us to take towards him instead of away from him, to not be threatened by him, but to submit to him, saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that you um, accomplish what you intend and that authority and power and goodness and life and peace, all of those things are perfectly aligned, perfectly integrated in you. And I pray for us, those who have experienced disintegration around those issues in those areas, Lord, that you could bring the healing that you bring as Lord of the Sabbath, the one who brings the rule and reign of God, yes, but also the rest of God to us. Help us, Lord, in, in times of turmoil and trouble to experience your rest, to experience your shalom. And we ask this in the precious name of Jesus, the Holy One of God, amen. Please stand. Let us say together the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.